Welcome to Leadership in the Digital Age with Professor Vijay Gurbaksani, Director of the Center for Digital Transformation at the Paul Mirage School of Business at UC Irvine. Join us for thought-provoking conversations with executives on the forefront of digital transformation. Welcome, Michael. Uh, so uh, we're just delighted that Michael and Jim could be here today. Michael works for CPPIB, Canadian Pension Plans Investment Arm, and we've never featured a private equity pension fund uh, company before. And we just sort of would love to hear your take on sort of your company and, and, and your portfolio and how you think about investing just at the higher level and we'll dig deeper. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably worth providing a bit of context because I'm willing to bet pretty much everyone in the audience hasn't heard of us before. Um, so we mentioned we manage the assets of the Canada Pension Plan. We have about $450 billion of assets under management, um, and we do that on behalf of 20 million Canadians. I know a lot of people think, oh, pension funds, sleepy, you're buying bonds, maybe some passive index funds. Um, but we're actually a pretty active investor by you know investing in private equity, infrastructure, credit, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the part of the fund that I work in is the one that looks after those private investments. And these are companies we've made major investments in, maybe buying 20, 40, 50, 100% of a company and taking seats on the board. Of which, just to give you a flavor, we have, say, 90 companies in that portfolio representing about $100 billion of value. Um, and I think there's maybe two elements of the long-term vision or strategy that are worth laying out because I think it's maybe a relatively unique set of challenges we face. And that's sort of scale and time horizon. On the scale front, we have a ton of money, and we're only getting bigger. By 2032, we'll be a trillion-dollar fund probably. So everything we do and in all the ways that we execute our operations, we need to make sure that it's scalable, that it can manage assets of every type, Chilean toll roads or software assets in, in Europe, whatever it may be. And then as for time horizon, someone entering the workforce today that's starting to pay into the plan May well, may well still be receiving benefits in 2100. So when we think about everything we do, we need to be exceptionally long-term in our perspective. Um, and we need to manage across that time horizon because short-term profits aren't going to pay that person's benefits. Yeah, so this is almost like a sovereign wealth fund where you're really thinking about the future of the country. In fact, I remember reading that if every Canadian stopped working, you could still pay them for quite a while. Uh, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but that's... Uh, um, I want to do answer. Uh, Jim, tell us a little bit about Global Logic and your relationship with um, CPPBIB. Well, Global uh, Global Logic is uh, approximately fifty uh, percent owned by CPPIB, but we also are uh, strategic development partners uh, in uh, the initiatives that we uh, will be talking about today. And uh, Global Logic was founded about. Um, 20 years ago, and uh, today we're about 17,000 people, uh, mostly software engineers across uh, Europe, uh, North and South America, and uh, India. And what we do is we develop uh, revenue-producing or value-creating products for other companies. And we started out uh, in 2000 working primarily with startups and literal software companies, and we've worked with most of the companies uh, who you've heard of in Silicon Valley to develop products that they market under their own name with our, certainly with our full uh, approval and endorsement. But about uh, 10 years ago, VJ, we saw what you were saying about every company needs to be a software company beginning to come true. And since we're the producer of software for software companies in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, 
uh, it was a very natural pivot for us to begin working with uh, large enterprises, and that takes us up to the present day when we're working with a company like uh, CPPIB on their next generation of value creation. Yeah, thanks, Jim. So, Michael, back to you. You know, uh, one of the things I sort of loved about when, when we planned for this session was hearing sort of your investment thesis for the audience. I mean, you know, we're always complaining about short-term investors and, you know, they don't value these long-term investments that I make. And now today we're lucky to hear from a company that has an ultra-long uh, perspective. But you also have a very different thesis for the way you approach sort of the entire process of, and it's not the right word, but sort of the companies you invest in, how you operate the companies and how you think about sort of their futures and what, you know, sort of the move to the digital economy might do for them. Share a little bit about how your company thinks about uh, this set of activities. Yeah, I think it really comes back to the point of time horizon, which is if you look far enough forward, every business in the world is going to be disrupted. And you can kind of see the evidence by looking back. A hundred years ago, think about where we were in terms of electrification, the internet, cars. You know, the world has changed. And with the accelerating rate of change in 25 years, we might see the same amount of progress we saw in the past hundred. So we know every business that we're investing in faces some risk of disruption. And we know our own business faces a, you know, a material disruption risk. We don't know when it's going to happen necessarily or quite how it's going to happen. But we know it's coming, and we know it's. We have a strong belief that it's centered around things like alternative data and advanced analytics. So, we've taken a big look internally and said we need to transform ourselves, and we need to do it before it becomes an existential threat. Um, and that encompasses a number of initiatives, ranging from getting the right data into our systems, being able to analyze it and draw insights from it and being able to you know, incorporate it into predictive models to understand what the future is going to look like. And that's a really difficult transition. I think it was you know, previously mentioned this concept of everyone kind of becoming a software company. Well, in large part, we need to transition ourselves from being a deal execution company to a software company in large regard, which is one of the big reasons that we turned to Global Logic um, when we started thinking about some of these transformational efforts, because that's exactly what they do. And I think they're you know, someone who's gonna help us accelerate in that journey towards using data and analytics in a really differentiated way to drive competitive advantage versus our peers. So talk to us about some of these new sources of data that you're referring to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to take a step back for those that don't work in the investing world, investing is a lot like betting. And so if you think about a poker game, if all you can see is your own hand, you're not going to always do a great job of winning. Um, but if maybe you can read another player's tell or you can count the cards, you're going to increase your odds of being able to win that hand. Um, and that's very much what we're doing with investing and what we're trying to do with alternative data. So rather than when we buy an asset, just relying on here's the information the seller has provided you and here's maybe some market studies from a big consultancy, looking at alternative information to better understand the asset. So just to give you some examples of you know, the flavors of the sort of things we might be looking at. One of the you know, big topics on everyone's mind is COVID and the question of how COVID recovery is looking in various different markets. You know, these are really hard things to understand how it's impacting given companies. But with alternative data, you can look at things like um, data from OpenTable to see how many people are dining at restaurants. Or you can look at cell phone mobility data to see how many people are returning to the work or trans you know, transiting on the road. And that gives you almost a live picture 
of what, how different markets and different companies are responding um, to COVID and to different reopening risks and allows you to take a really differentiated view in terms of what you think the recovery profile of those companies or those economies might be um, versus someone who else is just kind of sitting in the dark, reading the news, waiting for quarterly financials to come out. Or maybe, you know, another example that's a bit exotic. If you think about, you know, let's say we're looking at buying a pipeline, um, somewhere that was an oil pipeline, and in the past it suffered from a lot of problems with landslides that have caused the pipe to break and shut down. Every other investor, when they're figuring out how much they want to pay to buy that pipe, is going to factor in, this pipe's down 10% of the year, so we're going to give a 10% discount for our purchase price. But with the new emerging data from satellites that are launching, what you can start to do is run predictive analytics on where a landslide is going to form before it does that will lead to a pipeline breakage and prevent that from occurring. So suddenly, if you're able to kind of nail that predictive model, you can pay 10% more than anyone else and win the asset. That, so that's yeah. really interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think you also mentioned yeah, I mean, that you can use satellites to see how whether bridges are moving past their tolerance level. Um, yeah, exactly. I think, and that's just the beginning. Every day, more data is coming to market. Originally, it focused a lot on consumer businesses, but next we're seeing software, and I think more and more data is going to come. And those investors who are able to figure out how to um, build that data into the way they invest are going to be able to basically snap up all the really good assets, and those that can't are going to be left with the ones you don't really want to own. Um, and when each poker hand you're making a bet on costs you a billion dollars, you really want to get that right. Yeah, you're really getting at the heart of something that I think is very important, which is how do you value an asset that generates returns? And you know, usually you rely on cash flows presented by the owner of the asset you're trying to acquire. In this case, you're saying you can validate or even actually improve on estimates that even the owner may not have. Um, uh, I, I think it really speaks to how something as sort of important as investing in in, in these, uh, you know, your portfolio companies has shifted, and also to you know, sort of the measure of risk of disruption to these companies. So one footnote for the audience, as you may not realize this, but as an academic, we are doing a lot of work on the effects of the pandemic. Um, and it's really surprised me no end that, you know, we rely on sort of things like surveys from the government and the Bureau of Economic Analysis and the Census Bureau. And now if you look at all these economic studies, they're looking at open table, as Michael mentioned, and Yelp and things like that, because they actually have better real-time data than almost anybody about certainly certain sectors of the economy. With that, let me turn to you, Jim. Um, how is, Jim, how is Global Logic supporting uh, CPBIB on this, on this journey? What's your role and approach in all of this? I know you're using innovative yeah. design thinking. If you could speak to that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of uh, design thinking, you know, like I mentioned, Global Logic started out being uh, technical people, which, which I am one of, selling to other technical people and software companies. So, uh, and the software companies, by and large, have their own design uh, firms. But when we started working with enterprises, we realized that uh, design was, was increasingly important. And I'm not talking about just making things look pretty. I'm talking about capturing a vision from someone like Michael and turning it into a product, turning it into a real product that delivers value that could even potentially be sold to other people at times. So some of the products we work on, not necessarily the one for CPPIB, but how do we capture that vision and turn it into something that real people can use, 
that real people can derive value from and that exists in reality and meets the other non-functional goals. So we call that uh, strategic design to capture Michael's vision and decide how to turn that into software, both on uh, the usability side and the technical side. And uh, one of the interesting things to me about this particular project with CPPIB is that uh, it was all done during COVID, that we actually had our first workshop uh, planned for the week in London for the week that uh, uh, we got locked down here in the United States. So we immediately shifted all the design activities online and uh, Michael and uh, the Global Logic team has been extremely actively engaged daily uh, in driving his vision into reality, both uh, technically and from a design perspective. So we've actually found out that, and Michael, you comment on this, but um, that it's gone without a hitch uh, and that we're able to schedule more frequent meetings or more uh, uh, you know, focused meetings uh, using uh, unified communications technology than we were flying all over the planet. And uh, in many cases, I think we're going to keep uh, elements of this design methodology moving forward when we are able to meet in person again. Great. Yeah, um, I think the thing I'd even say on that is my, the thing I've observed is a lot of the methods and techniques we developed for this project, we've started to roll out internally for other projects because they have been so effective. Um, cool. So I think that's been great. And I think that's one of the reasons software is so valuable because it spills over very nicely. If it works in one setting, as we heard from LeTote earlier this morning, um, you know, the, the, that has applicability uh, if, it, if uh, in a lot of other businesses that might be in the same industry and sometimes even in different industries. Um, Michael, I want to sort of switch back to you because one of the things that you alluded to, which I think is really interesting, is that if everybody pays the same price for the asset, then in order to win the asset, um, you have to pay more than everybody else, which also means you, if everybody's predictions are correct, you get the lowest return on your investment compared to the people who lost up, you know, what we typically call the winner's curse at, at auction. Um, but one of the things that I think is worth focusing on is the company that's being purchased also has a chooses between sort of the offer they want to accept. And I've got to believe there's a role for sort of how you position is your, yourself as a company in terms of the long-term view that you take and sort of a view of the world that may be more in line with, uh, with the, the, the acquisition itself. Um, what value do you see your CPBIB bringing actually to the table as you pursue these assets, these companies? Yeah, I, I think a big piece of the value we bring is perspective. No one knows more about a company and how to manage a company than that company's management team. But what we bring that's different is anything any company has seen, we've seen before across mm -hmm. maybe multiple investments over the years. Um, and so let's say you need to go through a management change or put in place a new compensation plan or you're grappling with some sort of new technological disruption. We can bring the perspective of, oh, yeah, we've seen that before. We've done that before. Let us help you through that. Um, but I think to a certain extent, every private equity fund will tell you that they can do that. So it only really gives you so much differentiation. But by virtue of being on this tipping point with a lot of this, you know, data and analytics type strategy, we think there's a chance to kind of get ahead of the curve and be able to bring a new differentiated lens to a management team where you can go in during the deal and say, actually, maybe we now know your company better than you do to a certain extent. And we can be a real thought partner. And how do you take that business forward? 
Um, and I think when you're having those sorts of conversations with a CEO, it changes the dynamic from we're just going to, you know, provide you with capital and right. sit there and maybe provide you advice and guidance to, you know, we can be, you know, a real value added partner um, in this deal. That, that, I think that's really important because, um, you know, 10 years ago or eight years ago, technically when we launched the center, you know, we weren't seeing sort of the widespread recognition of the digital revolution. I mean, people understood it, but weren't sure how it was going to affect them. And I, I still think there's a little bit of sort of delay, though, of course, the pandemic has accelerated everything. So I do think sort of having sort of the right vision uh, is, is, is a valuable sort of asset. I'm going to turn to some questions from the audience. Um, Jim, let me ask you this one, because I think this was more suited to you. Um, uh -huh. You know, you're competing for technical talent with Google, Amazon, Facebook, and so on. Yeah. Um, how do you think about sort of a global logic recruiting talent uh, on the technical side that you might need? Yeah, um, well, it's uh, it, it's challenging. However, we do uh, we are growing very rapidly, and we're continuing to grow very rapidly, uh, and we do effectively compete. I mean, there's actually people like myself who used to work for Apple, who finds. Uh, Global Logic more interesting place to work, more challenging because we do more new stuff than any individual company can do. But uh, but yes, in the geographies where we operate, we that's exactly who we have to compete with, as well as with startups. Uh, yeah. That when we lose people, we lose them primarily to startups or the Googles and Apples, and uh, because we're using similar skill sets. But we're in the mix and we're very competitive in the geographies where we operate. Michael, this one's for you. It's actually a targeted at you. Uh, as you've become more data-centric, uh, I'm not choosing what I'm saying, uh, how has it changed your view of your partners, such as investment banks and valuation experts and their data capabilities? So this is how mature is this industry around you, your ecosystem? Yeah, I think everyone's on the journey together. And I think what we're seeing is our partners, like banks or consultancies, start to introduce products of their own. Um, within their own core competency, whether it be providing historical comps or valuations for private companies so that we can think about, you know, what's the right multiple to pay. And I think, you know, provided that they continue, uh, you know, along that pathway of figuring out how they can evolve their own role and, uh, you know, think beyond what's the product they've historically provided and think forward towards what's the customer need they're trying to solve, I think, they'll continue to play an you know, incredibly important role in the transaction process. Well, thank you both for a really interesting session. We're so excited to actually take the investor perspective uh, and how you sort of are seeing the future of sort of digital uh, across a wide range of companies and how you can bring data into sort of evaluate these companies or value these companies better. So with that, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Michael, for a really interesting conversation. Thank you for listening to Leadership in the Digital Age. We hope you will follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at UCI underscore CDT or on our YouTube channel, UCI Center for Digital Transformation. Please be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us a review. Until next time.